0: Well, before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. We've been talking in recent weeks about right understandings and right attitudes between Jews and Gentiles, how challenging it was in those first years for the first generation of Messianic Jews to deal with how to think about Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God and how to have the right attitude. And then how challenging it was for Gentiles as they formed their own congregations in their cities To have the same right attitude and right understanding about the Jewish people. We talked about how 2,000 years later, you'd think we'd have had enough time, enough practice to have gotten everything right. But believe it or not, we're still working on the very same things. God, in bringing Jews and Gentiles together, did something that neither party was really anticipating do you know that the gentiles were not just sitting around all over the globe saying when are the jewish people going to bring us good news about salvation and in the same way the jews were not anticipating what what could possibly connect what was going on in their spiritual world with the spiritual world of the gentiles there had been conflict there were times of peaceful relationships and mutual respect. But in general, nations during that time period thought of each other as adversaries. And they worshiped their own gods. If you were Egyptian, you worshiped your god. If you were a Greek, you worshiped your gods. And if you were of Israel, you worshiped your god. The idea that different nations could unite in worshiping the one true God, the God of Israel, this was not something that everybody was eager to hear and that everybody was anticipating. But it shows something about how God works. God works in unexpected ways. He works in surprising ways and he works often in ways that are opposite to how we might think or how the world works. I'll give just one example. Ruth. Ruth is a great example because she married a Jew, an Israelite who had moved to her country. Do you know what country she lived in? Moab. And he died and so she was a widow and yet she felt connected to the Jewish people. But you see, the Moabites were, were like a, a people that the Jews were not allowed to intermarry with. There was a commandment in the scriptures that said not to uh, marry the Moabites. And there were reasons for it. We won't go into it right now. But what's so surprising is this woman had a love for the Jewish people. She had a love for Israel, and so when she and her mother-in-law, Naomi, move back to the land of Israel, Ruth remarries a, a man named Boaz, and he's part of the greater family, and together they have a child, and through that marriage of Boaz and Ruth comes the line, that produces King David. And through King David comes the line that produces Messiah. And so that's surprising because according to the law, this marriage should never have happened. Do you see that? According to the rules and the regulations, things like this should not have happened and yet God saw that Ruth had come out from under the curse of the law because she was choosing the God of Israel and choosing the people Israel. And so he worked through her to produce the line of Messiah. No one could have seen that happen. No one could have anticipated it. It it did not make sense. And God often works that way. Think about King David. Do you remember when the prophet Samuel was looking for the next king and he went to the household of Jesse? And he saw all of Jesse's sons from the oldest down to the youngest, he thought. And none of them was the one that was chosen according to what the Holy Spirit was showing him. And so he thought there must be another and the the family finally said, oh yeah, there is one more you know, like the little guy, the squirt. He's out there taking care of the sheep. Samuel goes to see him, and it's young David. And it turns out the Holy Spirit says, this is the one. The youngest was the one. That shows how God often works. He does surprising things. He, he works in a way that's contrary to our normal understanding And he does many great things in the most difficult of circumstances. He uses our weaknesses to reveal his strength. He uses our needs to reveal his provision. Now tonight I wanna introduce a fantastic Hebrew word. Sandy and I learned this word when we were in Jerusalem years ago. One morning we were having breakfast at a cafe on uh, Emek Rafaim Street in the German colony. Café is the name of the cafe. And it's a wonderful place to eat. It's like a Jerusalem institution. It's a dairy restaurant. That means that they serve uh, dairy dishes and fish dishes, but no meats. And we were staying nearby in a little apartment that we rented for our trip. Uh, because we preferred that over staying in hotels. And we just walked to this cafete, that was the name of the restaurant, and we wanted a cappuccino. And this was, I think, in the early 90s, if I remember right, and it was before a lot of places were serving cappuccino. And so Sandy described to the waitress what she wanted, because the waitress didn't know the word cappuccino. And so she described it. And then the waitress said, ah, cafe hafuch. And we said, what does hafuch mean? And she said, it's uh, upside down. And you see, the way they make it in Israel is they heat up the milk, they make the froth, the foam, whatever it is. They put that in the cup, and then they pour the espresso shots in. And so for them, it's upside down. So say this word with me, hafuch. You did pretty well. Okay, now take turns. Tell each other. Find someone you can practice this with. Because you do want to get this right. You don't want to mispronounce this word. (laughs) Hafuch. Hafuch. Upside down coffee. Hafuch, upside down. So we love to go to the cafes in Israel and we say, Cafe Hafuch. And they would bring it just the way. You see, Hafuch, it's it's a great word. It means upside down. It means inside out. It means flipped or overturned. And like the reverse of the way something should be. It comes from a root word, Hafach. Why don't you say that? Hafach. You know, I, I like hafuch so much more, that the root, you know, like who cares about the root? But that root connects a lot of uh, different words together to describe how God has worked uh, throughout time. And, and one important time is the way he worked when Balaam, Balaam wanted to curse Israel. And so if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 5. This is a description. It's a little commentary on what God was doing while Balaam was trying to curse Israel. If you don't know the story of Balaam, we'll be covering it later this summer. We cover it every year. Uh, it's It's an important story that helps us understand how God works and how he protects us from false prophets. And Balaam had been hired to curse Israel, but it says in Deuteronomy 25, 23 verse 5, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turned his curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. And the way the story goes is Balaam was being paid money to curse. He was was a prophet of sorts, and he was being paid money to curse Israel by the enemies of Israel. And every time he tried to curse Israel, he ended up speaking words of blessing, which really irritated the people who were paying him. They thought, we paid you to curse. Now, In the Hebrew, it's so interesting, where it says he turned the curse into a blessing, it uses a a word that's a variant of hafuch. He turned it upside down. You see, Balaam wanted to curse Israel, but God turned it upside down. And he ends up doing the opposite. He ends up blessing. Well, I like the form hafuch because of the coffee connection, but I think it's also just a great word that describes how God works in the middle of our broken and our troubled world, he turns things upside down. In fact, it seems that for God, sometimes the only way to get things right side up is to turn things upside down. He'll get his hands on things that people are doing and he'll flip it, he'll turn it. He'll make it different than it was and he will bring something good out of it. Now there's another occasion, Sandy was reading about this uh, for the last couple of weeks in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Very important scripture, very interesting and maybe very useful to you. We may talk about it in in the weeks to come, but it describes the life of Saul. And Sandy was studying and praying about this passage for some time, but if you turn to 1 Samuel 10 verse six, it says that the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. See, this was a word given to Saul. And if you remember, Saul was, was a man who was tall, he was good looking, he had, he had qualities about him that were very attractive. And yet, he lacked something, which was the Holy Spirit. And even when the Holy Spirit was poured out on him, it, it, it brought change to him, but his character never really changed. He never really allowed the Holy Spirit to have a lasting impact on him. And he wanted his own personality to to rule and his own gifts to rule. But it says here in verse six, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, Saul, and you will prophesy with them, meaning the prophets who you come across, and you will be changed into a different person. And in the Hebrew, it says, it uses a word related to hafuch, you will be turned upside down and you'll become a different person. Now I can tell you this, sometimes when God gets a hold of you and he brings you into the kingdom, it'll turn your life upside down. It happened to me, maybe it happened to you. How many of you, were, you're just going along your way, you had your own plans, your own ideas of what good looked like and, and what life should be, and God gets a hold of you and it turns those plans upside down. Some of you can identify with that. You know, you know what I'm talking about here. Samuel was a prophet who was used by God to call Saul, but Saul needed to change, and he had to really be turned upside down. If God gets a hold of you and you need to be turned upside down, you wanna make sure he keeps you upside down. Let, you, let your life, as it's changed, let it keep going according to the changes God is wanting to make. Don't try to get that life back that you had before. That's a lesson from the life of Saul. If you try to hold on to the life that God is wanting you to lay down, it doesn't go so well for you. Now let's go to Jonah chapter three. This is just a little survey on hafuch. Jonah chapter three, verse four. I, I read this today without realizing the Hebrew text in times past, and it really encouraged me. If you you read it in English, it says something like this. On the day Jonah entered the city of Nineveh, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. How many of you have the word destroy in your English translation? Nobody. Okay, what do you have in your translation? Overthrown. Overthrown, Mm mm-hmm. Well, you know what? It's a variation of Hafu. And many translations convey, I think, this sense of you will be destroyed. And I think even the prophet Jonah wanted that to be the case. He was happier with the idea of bringing a prophetic word to Nineveh that would result in Nineveh's judgment and destruction. He was not happy for his assignment, but the idea that Nineveh would be destroyed, that was okay with him. But the Hebrew has this uh, double double meaning to it. Your city will be overthrown. How many of you have that in your translation? Let me see. Or, or over, what, what other words do you have? Overthrown? Okay. So a lot of you have that or something like it. But consider that the Hebrew is saying something like this. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be turned upside down. That's actually what happened. You see, had they, had they ignored the word of the Lord, they would have been turned upside down one way that would have led to destruction. But they responded to the word of the Lord and so they repented and, the, and Nineveh was turned upside down another way. It was turned upside down because the people humbled themselves before God and began to submit themselves to God. Hafuch. Nineveh wasn't destroyed, but it surely was turned upside down. Now it's not in the text, but the life of Joseph shows the same concept the same principle of how god works by turning things upside down and i think of the statement that joseph made when his brothers came to him it's recorded in genesis chapter 50 verse 20. he's talking to his brothers and he's already confronted them and he revealed himself you you may know the story this particular Message does require that you have some familiarity with the scriptures. If you're not familiar with these stories, then it's important to go and become familiar with them. So, you should know something about the life of Joseph. It's an important important passage in the scriptures. Joseph had been sold into slavery by his own brothers, and God had worked even though he was a slave, he then became a prisoner. While a prisoner, he was put in charge of the prison, and then ultimately, through the hand of God, all of that was turned upside down, and he ends up becoming the prime minister of Egypt. Hafu, everything's upside down. But when his brothers are coming to him, they don't know who he is, and he knows who they are. He reveals himself, and he says, I'm Joseph, your brother. And then he says, you sold me into slavery, that Joseph. And of course, that's not good news to them. They they couldn't even speak when he began to reveal himself. But he makes this powerful statement in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says to his brothers, even though you planned evil against me, God planned good to come out of it. And this was to keep many people alive as he is doing now because it was during a time of famine. You see, Joseph knew this this way that God can work, that he can get his hands on things that the enemy is wanting to use and he can turn them upside down and bring good out of it. Joseph was saying to his brothers, don't hold it against yourselves what you did to me because God was watching over me and used your evil plans. He turned them around. Joseph never says your plans were good. I want you to understand that, because some of you, maybe you had experiences in your life where people, people treated you wrongly. They hurt you. They even did evil to you. And I want you to be able to know, yeah, that was evil. But I want you to understand something. God is able to redeem us. He's able to bring us out of the trouble that other people cause for us, or even the trouble we get ourselves into. He's able to turn it ups, upside down. In fact, the whole concept of redemption is, is based around this principle of ha- hafuch, turning things upside down. Slavery is turned into freedom loss is turned into gain. There is an exchange that happens in redemption that is so critical and so important. You see, God often works in upside-down ways. Imagine if you were Joseph in prison and you were just thinking, life is over because it's unjust. My own life has no meaning because I'm the victim of hateful family members. And I've been accused of things that I never did. Imagine if Joseph had that understanding that there was no further meaning to life. There was no purpose in life. You and I can fall for that. We can succumb to that kind of thinking. When we're in hardship, when when we're under attack or we've experienced betrayal, when we're experiencing loss of some kinds. When things are working against us, we can think it's over, we can think it's a settled matter, and yet God knows how to get his hands on our life. He knows how to gain the upper hand, if you will, and to do hafuch, to turn things upside down. He uses David, son of Jesse, to defeat Goliath the giant. He uses Abraham and Sarah, who cannot make a baby together. And in their old age, they become father and and mother. And they bring forth a son, Isaac, through whom the covenant will be passed. He uses Israel and Egypt, think of that, a small and enslaved nation to become the mighty people of God and to bring forth Messiah, light to the world. God uses the foolishness of the things of this world in order to reveal his wisdom. So maybe you've got a difficult situation. Maybe you've been in trouble. Maybe you've got something, and you can't imagine how something good can come out of it. God knows how to make hafuch how to make things upside down, how to turn them over in order to set them right. When he came down to earth and he took on a human body as a baby to become Mashiach, the Messiah, Melech Mashiach, King Messiah, that's hafuch, that's upside down. That is not what people were expecting. People thought King Messiah will come, how? As a mighty king. He'll come in what way? With military victory. He'll come and he will accomplish everything visibly and obviously now. That was the hope. That was the expectation. Even though the scriptures taught that Messiah needed to suffer, no one wanted to believe that part. That was too tough. Because how can suffering be associated with the victory of Messiah? It would take time to learn about that. You see another picture of hafuch upside down in this week's Haftor portion from Jeremiah. God instructs Jeremiah to to redeem a piece of land from a relative, a relative has lost the land and as a kinsman redeemer, Jeremiah can purchase it back and return it as property to his greater family. But God tells Jeremiah to redeem that land at the very time that Israel is about to be taken captive after being invaded. At the time they're about to be enslaved and then carried away into exile. So can you imagine all you guys who like to invest, all you people who like to get a return on your money If God said to you, I want you to buy right before the bubble bursts. So pay that high price and then the bubble's going to burst. How many people lost money uh, on anything you owned in the last five years? (laughs) Almost all of us, right? Okay, imagine if you knew the bubble was going to burst and the Holy Spirit came to you and said, put everything you've got into housing. <laughs> It'd be terrible, wouldn't it? In a sense, that's what God was doing with Jeremiah. Redeem this land. Why? Because it's hafu. You see, God knew something. Redemption was going to come. The victory of God was going to come. And he made a promise to Jeremiah to be conveyed to all of Israel. This trouble that we're going through will come to an end and we will be restored. Redemption will be accomplished. You see, in this way, God made a promise. Redemption has been accomplished but it will only be visible in the future. You know, God does the same thing with Yeshua. He brings redemption to everyone, even though it looks like the world is in miserable shape right now. It looks like sometimes, do you ever wake up and think it couldn't get worse? And then, you know, the next day you say, well, it did. There are There's evil afoot. The world is broken. There's a lot of trouble. And just when you think the last chapter of trouble has been written, there's yet another chapter. God makes a promise to Jeremiah. Redemption has been accomplished. How can I know that? Because I told you to act as a redeemer. Buy that land. Redeem it. Take the deed. Keep it. Bury it. It's, it's a deposit. It's a security for you. I will redeem. I will bring out. God knows how to, how to make things right side up by turning them upside down. There are times when our lives seem to be going in a direction where we can't even imagine how can good come out of this. And then there's one day and something changes and it's turned upside down. Or there may be times when you're in the middle of a battle, when, when you're in the thick of situations and it seems upside down, and then you realize God's working in this situation already. That's what happened to Joseph before his brothers even came, he knew God was working. And he kept giving God his best and everyone around him his very best, anticipating that God was still good. When you're in trouble, you might think, oh, I know he's good up here, but down here in the heart, it doesn't feel like he's good. Some of you have situations that don't seem right. Maybe someone's planned evil against you. Maybe fiery darts are being shot at you. Maybe some evil plans have been accomplished against you. How many of you can relate to this fiery darts thing? You've you've experienced it recently. You felt those spiritual attacks coming at, at you, maybe, towards your mind, maybe towards your heart, maybe towards your body. How many people have had to deal with that? You see, you might think there's nothing I can do, but I wanna tell you there is something to do about fiery darts. God has given you the shield of faith that extinguishes the fiery darts. The hard thing to do is to lift up that shield, not any shield, but the shield of faith. That's the only one. To put your trust in God, and to see that the darts can be extinguished. I, there have been times when I've taken a few darts, I could feel the, the, the fire, I could feel the pain of it all. We used to joke, I feel something burning. I smell something burning. It's me. And those fiery darts from the enemy come and, and they start burning, and yet God is able to give us the right weapons to deal with them. Not the weapons of carnality, but spiritual weapons, the weapons that God has empowered us with. And that shield of faith, it has a fire extinguisher or something like it connected to it. And you hold that shield up, and you know what? The dart that fiery dart goes into the shield and then pff, the fire is out. Now, after you've taken enough fiery darts and you say, I'm sick of it, try the shield of faith. God's given you that as a weapon. Now, how do you hold it up? You hold it up in the spirit, in a sense. And you say, Lord, you're my protection. You're the faithful one. You see, God says, I'm Magain avraham, the shield of Abraham and I'm your shield too. So it's not just an idea. It's God himself. He is a shield to us. And we say, Lord, you're my shield. You're my protector. You're the one who who rescues me. You're the one who redeems me. Your shield extinguishes the fiery darts. You can try to run away from the fiery darts. Here's the problem. The one shooting chases you. And so running is not a good option. And you can just give up, that's not a good idea either. You know why? You'll lose if you do that. So you've got to learn the weapons of warfare, to use the weapons of spiritual warfare that God has given to you And one of those great weapons, the shield of faith, will protect you. I got a call recently from another rabbi who was going through a real battle. It was taking a toll on him and his wife. And after we talked about it, I asked if I could pray for him. And I just prayed in the name of Yeshua and lifted up that shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts. And at the end of our time of prayer, he was beginning to get his victory. You know, when you're under attack, uh, it's hard to think clearly. Isn't that true? And when you're under attack, it's hard for your emotions to be in the right place. Isn't that true? And so you can't just be taking the blows and, and expect to think clearly and expect to feel the right way. You've got to get the protection. I love love something Jeremiah says. After God gives him this incredible instruction, and, and the prophecy that goes with it, Israel's going to be invaded, Israel is going to be defeated, Israel is going to be enslaved, Israel is going to be carried off. Now, does that sound like good news? It wasn't good news. But then he's given this instruction, redeem that land. Why? And here's the answer. Redeem it because there will be a day of restoration. You redeem it because I'm working for the point of redemption. And you know what Jeremiah says as a result of that? He says, ah, Lord God, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Great and mighty God, great in counsel, and mighty indeed. I love that song based on this. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing is too difficult for you. As, As Jeremiah is declaring that, you know what's happening? his confidence in God is building up. He understands what God wants to do and he's agreeing with God and his own faith is rising up and that faith becomes a shield. It's a faithful shield. And then just last words. Jeremiah had said these things earlier but now he was actually walking in them Himself, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the waters which spread, spreads out its roots by the river. It will not fear when heat comes. Its leaf will be green. It will not be anxious in the year of drought, and nor will it cease from yielding fruit as he begins to say, ah, Lord God, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power. You know what's happening? He's putting this into place. He's trusting in the Lord. His hope starts rising up. His roots are going down and they're taking in the, that spiritual, refreshing drink that comes from the Lord. He is moving in the power of God and it equips him for the victory that God has for him. I want to pray for anyone right now who's got a situation that needs to be turned upside down in order to get better. If your situation doesn't look good, but you know God can get his hands on it, can I pray for you? Amen. If, if you've got a situation, you went one way and it didn't work, And God is going to have to turn it upside down. He can do it. I want you to understand that. He can do it. He He can redirect things for your good. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you can turn things upside down. You turn Nineveh upside down. You turn Balaam's curse upside down. You have worked in so many and powerful ways that seemed impossible, unlikely, or were unexpected. And I'm praying now for the men and the women right now who have situations that, that need your hafu, your upside down work. It looks like it's going in one way, but you're gonna turn it into another. I pray that you will give that hope and that confidence Jeremiah had, that you'll give that perspective that Joseph had, and that you will allow your children right here in this room to experience the flip of God in their lives, turning everything upside down so that it's finally right side up and working the way you want. Pour out your grace Pour out your favor. Pour out your courage and your hope. I pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. 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 Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Please rise. If you're all by yourself, just move around a little bit so you don't have to stand alone at this moment. Yivarechecha <inaudible> shalom. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep watch over you and protect you with His shield of faith. The Lord cause the light of His face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His face to you and give you His shalom, His peace, in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.